Welcome to the Bible in Our Culture, an outreach radio ministry of Liberty Remnant Church, where we encourage you to view the culture through the lens of the Holy Bible. Hello and welcome again. I'm Pastor Jay McPherson with Liberty Remnant Church, and this is the Bible and Our Culture. In the past few weeks, we've talked a lot about making a difference in the culture, that this is our opportunity, this is the land that God has called us to, let's go take it. How do we take that land? What is going to help us be most effective? Well, I think Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is key for us in taking our land. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and he's meeting with the disciples, and he says in verse 8 of chapter 1, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, or as the King James puts it, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Awesome way of looking at our calling as believers is that we are to be witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are his, then the power of the Holy Spirit is available to you, and it is available to you specifically, according to this verse, to be his witness. I love the gifts and flow of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's powerful. It's almost addictive. But it's really not there simply to make me feel good. The power of the Holy Spirit is available to me to be his witnesses. And where am I to be his witnesses? Well, I think the geographical scope was our community, the region, the neighboring region, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But if we look at that not through a lens of geography, but a lens through ideology, you could really take it this way. We're to be his witness to those who killed Jesus, that's Jerusalem, those who rejected Jesus, that'd be Judea, those who were indifferent to Jesus, it's kind of Samaria, and those who've never heard of Jesus, the ends of the earth. So those are the categories of people that you can witness to. <laughs> whether they, they reject Jesus whether they're indifferent to Jesus or whether they never heard of Jesus, those are the people you want to be a witness. Now, what is a witness? Throughout history, a witness simply gives their testimony. That's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple. A witness has to have a testimony or they're not a witness. And if you have a testimony, then you had to have been a witness. That's really how it works. So a witness does not function as a marketing specialist trying to sell their testimony. Boy, I hope you can hear that. A lot of times people think to witness, to share Jesus with people, is to become the sales department of Christianity. I'm not interested in that. I do love Jesus, and I do love people, and I want to share Jesus with people. Well, I have a testimony. I have a story about how I came to Jesus, how he revealed himself to me, and why. So I don't have to feel like I am the sales department. I also don't have the burden of winning or losing the case. Throughout all legal history, if you have a witness, the witness is simply to, there to tell the truth. They don't have the burden to win or lose the case. They're just sharing their testimony. And that's how we are. That's why I think Jesus called us to be his witnesses. A witness's testimony is their individual testimony alone. And nobody else's. Don't have to copy other people's testimony. Doesn't work. The idea that a testimony is powerful if it's shared from the heart in truth. So my testimony is going to be different than my neighbor's testimony. I love Pat Thompson, our 
producer. He's done all the work behind the scenes to make this show work since day one. And I heard his, him share his testimony, and it was really powerful. Way different than mine. So powerful, I want him to share it here on the Bible and our culture in the upcoming weeks. But it's different than mine. I was a pastor's kid, grew up at a Christian school. So I have my testimony. If I try to copy his, well, it's going to ruin mine. It's not going to make mine better. And if he tries to copy mine, it's not going to make his better. Everybody has their own testimony. So a witness simply shares their testimony. Now, that's not quite the same thing as preaching the gospel. Uh, preaching the gospel is witnessing, but I don't think every time that you witness, are you going to be able to preach the gospel? Be great if there's an opportunity that you do it, but you don't always have that opportunity. So basically, preaching the gospel is to declare the great love the Father had who sent his only Son to take our punishment upon himself, to pay the debt of our sin, and he did it out of love for you. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And we want to share those doctrines, share that dogma any chance we get, because guess what? That's really important in my heart. Those are truths that mean a lot to me. You can call them the theology of Christianity if you want, but I love Jesus, and this is the truth, and this is what's in my heart, and this is what's in the Bible. This is what I want to share. Now, how do you witness without preaching the gospel? Well, I think anytime that you are a witness that you're his that does witness that you know him, that he's there. For example, you're having lunch in a restaurant by yourself in the cafeteria, and you bow to ask the blessing on the food before you partake. Somebody sees that? Well, that's a witness that you cared enough about your relationship with Jesus that you wanted to stop and ask a blessing and thank him for it on a regular basis. If you say you can't stay out late with your friends because you got to get up and go to church in the morning, and you're willing to sacrifice whatever it is you were going to do with your friends because you want to come to church, well, that's a witness. That's basically saying, hey, my relationship with Jesus is a priority. You didn't share all the details of the gospel. You didn't lead them in the, the doctrines to salvation, but you were at least a witness. So we witness and look for opportunities to preach the gospel. All of us. We all have a testimony. We all have something to share. Now, there's an element of compelling or persuading when you preach the gospel. Luke 14, 23 talks about compelling others to come in. We see Paul persuading people in Acts 18, verse 4, and 2 Corinthians 5, 11, and verse 20. He's trying to make a, a case, make a defense for people to get saved. And, and we want to do that any chance that we get. There's also an element of confrontation when preaching the gospel. I mean, it's such good news that you're basically saying, hey, you didn't know this already you've been missing out you're you're missing out on the main thing in life if you don't know jesus that's kind of confrontational we don't want to say it in a confrontational way but there also is an element of repentance there's an element of you sinned and need a savior that's preaching the gospel so the gospel is good news but a lot of people don't realize it's the king's good news so they use the word gospel in bible times it would be the king's declaration of good news so, for example, if a king sends a declaration, sends a gospel to a town uh, in the remote parts of his kingdom, and he says, hey, you've had a, a road that's gone east and west to and from the city, but now I have this good news that I'm going to build a road north and south to such and such a village or such and such a place. Well, that's good news, and he sees it as good news, and he hopes the, the people of that village will receive it as good news. It is good news. But if you have a 
home if your crops are where they're going to build the road and they're just going to confiscate your property, well, that might not be particularly good news to you. And there's a little bit of truth to that in preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That is, if somebody is so firmly holding to their pride, so firmly holding to their views of secularism or Islam or whatever, that the good news is the king's good news and they may not like it. But to the humble, to the broken, to those who are willing to receive Jesus, it's really, really good news. We could never overestimate the good news of the gospel. It's important we understand the gospel is a king's good news. But Americans today often presume the gospel is the consumer's good news. And it's an easy trap to get into. Somebody's listening to you share about how awesome Jesus is and how if you give your life to him, you'll go to heaven. And they might be sitting there rubbing their chin, folding their arms and thinking, eh, if you upgrade my phone, then I'll sign up. If you promise to come and cut my grass next summer, well, then I'll join your club. <laughs> they, they don't get it. They're hearing the gospel presentation as if it's a sales presentation in a consumer-based society. There's never been more of a consumer-based society, I don't think, in human history than today in America. And so some folks get in this idea that, okay, your religion's trying to recruit me. I'm going to make sure I negotiate if I'm at all interested. Doesn't work that way. The gospel is the king's good news. Now, people will appreciate the good news if they're willing to admit the bad news. I heard an analogy about sharing the gospel. There was a guy trying to sleep in first class on a flight in an airplane, and he couldn't sleep and woke up tossing and turning, and woke up and he looks around and he sees all the flight attendants busy and they're not even paying attention to him. And he finally gets one's attention and says, hey, can I get a little help here? And she looks at him and then grabs him this giant backpack and tells him to put it on. He thinks, well, that's weird. How am I going to get more comfortable to sleep with this giant backpack on? But he puts it on anyway and tries to go back to sleep. And he's like, this is terrible. I, this isn't comfortable at all. So he starts to get mad at the flight attendant. Then he realizes, oh, the plane's going to crash. And this is my parachute. Well, once he knew the, about the imminent destruction that was heading his way, he was far more happy to see that giant backpack as good news because it was his parachute. When somebody understands the bad news, they'll really appreciate the good news. The problem is today, most of the secularists have so attacked the gospel that it no longer sounds like good news to, to people because they aren't aware of the bad news. So let's, let's talk about three truths about the bad news. The bad news for the human soul is that we justly deserve eternal damnation forever alone in the fires of hell. Wow, that's really, 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 really bad news. We justly deserve eternal damnation forever alone in the fires of hell. That can't be overstated. It's true, if you believe in the Bible, it's really true. But man, the enemy has gone to such lengths to say, well, don't you dare talk to me about hell. How dare you condemn me and tell me I'm going to hell? And if something is no big deal, we cuss by saying, eh, what the hell? Who cares? Ah, oh, what the hell? Something's really not important. If somebody doesn't care, then they say, what the hell? Are you kidding me? There's nothing that can be minimized that would be a, a catastrophe like that is hell. Hell's a big deal. But people aren't really wanting to hear that. 
You know, another portion of bad news, point number two, that they're willing maybe to listen to, is that there is an aching void, an emptiness in your soul that only Jesus can fill. People be more apt to catch that. They'll be more apt to think, you're right, I can't deny. I just feel empty. I feel hopeless. I don't know what the point to life is. I really need something, and I'm missing it. So that's bad news people might hear. But even then, they might get offended if you try and tell them the bad news. Here's some bad news. The third point of the bad news that you need to hear for the gospel to make sense. Well, this is such a crazy, stupid, mixed up, messed up world because that's what it's like without Jesus. Without Jesus, everything we see is crazy, stupid, mixed up, and messed up in our world. Everybody sees that. I haven't talked to anybody that doesn't see that this is a crazy, stupid, mixed up, messed up world. And everybody that's passionate about something, they're wanting to sort of fix this mess. But only Jesus can fix this mess. The socialist likes to prove that socialism should work because of all these bad things happening in the world. And they assume that if they can find fault somewhere, that socialism is the answer. Socialism is not the answer. Quite the opposite of that. Jesus is the answer. And free markets aren't really the answer to the human soul either. It makes really good for your economy. doesn't make a good for your eternal soul. So as you witness, look for opportunities to share the gospel and to share your testimony. When I say testimony, I'm talking about how God revealed himself to you, how you came to know Jesus. I call it the capital T, testimony. If somebody gets some money to pay their bills, that was a miracle that they knew was God providing for them, they have a testimony. But when I say capital T, testimony, I'm really talking about how you came to Jesus. Maybe you were really young and, and you hardly even know, remember when you gave your heart to Jesus, but you know you're saved. You have a story to tell, capital T, testimony. And as we share the capital T testimony, we look for ways to share the gospel. So here's my quick one or two minute testimony. I was about four years old in the back of my mom's car. She was driving into the supermarket, buy some groceries. As she was pulling in, I asked the question, hey, how can God be so big yet fit in your heart at the same time? Kind of a profound question a four-year-old might ask. Well, she began to explain to me what it really meant for Jesus to come and live in your heart. And I understood it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I was hearing a message, not just a bunch of words, but something was speaking to my heart. She began to explain to me how I was a sinner. And I knew I was. I had done things that were wrong. I was naughty. I acted unlovingly and selfishly. And that God, being totally perfect, doesn't like sin because it hurts people. But Jesus would forgive my sin. And he paid for my sin by dying on a cross in my place. And he's coming back for me. He's going to live inside me to help me do what's right and rule and reign with him for eternity. Man, I had such a clear picture of a victorious, smiling, joyful Jesus, totally the hero that you would want to run and put your arms around. I mean, I had a clear picture of who Jesus was. She led me in a sinner's prayer, and then she kind of looked around and said, so are you ready to go in the store now? She's like, oh my goodness, where are we? I had lost all sense of time and space. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what we were doing. It was like a divine, eternal moment. How often is a four-year-old going to be focused for that long? It was a miracle, promise you that. So you want to share what happened when you came to Jesus. Hello, my name is Pastor Jay McPherson of Liberty Remnant Church. I would like to formally invite you to come visit our reality-based local church. A dedicated group of believers planted LRC about two years ago 
in the middle of the COVID-19 government shutdown. We are not afraid to apply biblical principles to weighty current day issues. In fact, we feel God expects it of his people. Our goal is to be a simple, relational, biblical church that applies biblical principles to the issues of the day. If you're looking for a local church or know somebody who is, please consider what God is doing at Liberty Remnant Church. We're meeting at 7919 North Division in Spokane every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information, please check out our website, libertyremnantchurch.org. That's libertyremnantchurch.org. Or email me at pastorj at libertyremnantchurch.org. Thank you. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, I want to, want to read a story about how Jesus sent out the 12 disciples. He said he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Basically, take nothing but what you got on your backs. Verse 4, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. A lot of people don't focus on verse 5 there. It says, shake off the dust. Well, Jesus was giving the 12 disciples a hands-on lesson in ministering the kingdom. He had taught with lectures. He had taught with object lessons. But now it was a lab. They were going to go into cities two by two to every place and preach the gospel, preach the gospel of the kingdom. He was stacking the deck against them by having them pack extremely light so that they could experience God's miraculous provision as they do miraculous ministry. And Jesus expected great deliverance as they went. And if you kept reading, you'll see that they experienced it. The power of God was flowing through them. Even demons would have to obey them. Jesus expected that, but guess what he also expected? Resistance. He expected that there would be people that would really not like him for trying to share the kingdom with them. Isn't it interesting? Jesus, who had the power to delegate authority over demons and over disease, did not give him power to overcome people's will. God doesn't overcome our will. So when we preach the gospel, we can expect resistance. But what do we do with that resistance? Well, Jesus commanded his disciples to shake off the very dust from their feet as a testimony against them. I think there's something to that. I think there's something to this idea that when we do share the gospel, and I don't mean merely witnessing a little bit, I mean actually getting to share what Jesus has done and how we're forgiven through the cross and that sort of thing. When we get the chance to share that and people reject it, they get angry at us, there's got to be something else that says, hey, come on, man, I'm sharing with you the most important thing. I believe it with all my heart, and if you won't listen, that's going to be on you, the day of judgment. Not that you want to pick a fight in that way, but there has to be something in your heart that says, you know, I'm not going to take the blame for this. Because there's an accuser of the brethren, Satan. Revelations 12 talks about Satan, the devil, as the accuser of the brethren. And so we share our faith, and, and it usually doesn't go perfectly, right? And we maybe get a, a rebuttal, a resistance, and we don't know what to say. And then we think about it 20 minutes later, and we're like, oh, yeah, I should have said this. I should have said that. Maybe I should have been a little more cordial, a little more small talk. For, oh, man, I blew it. Now they're never going to come to Jesus because I messed it up. The devil's just heaping condemnation on us. And we're like, oh, I, I so messed this thing up that they're probably further away from Jesus than they were because I've 
opened my mouth and embarrassed him. A lot of evangelism in America is done mostly by newly saved believers. Why is that? Well, as I mentioned, we share the gospel and people don't fall on their knees and maybe even resist resist us and, and reject us and, and find fault with us. And so we feel like we messed up. And so we learn not to share the gospel. Statistically, it does appear that Christians somehow learn not to share their faith over time. You would think it would be the other way around, wouldn't you? But it seems that most of the evangelism today is done by those who are newly saved. Now, newly saved converts tend to know more unsaved people, don't they? That's not really a good thing, but it's you kind of see how it happens. Uh, somebody gets saved, I, you know, myself, I want to be around believers that help me in my spiritual walk and help me grow. And plus, they're usually kinder and more loving than a lot of unbelievers. So in time, we have lots of Christian friends, and we don't have as many non-Christian friends. So consequently, we don't have as many opportunities to share Jesus. I'm hoping we can fix this somehow. And new believers are probably more apt to share Jesus with people because they're more apt to notice the huge contrast of their new life in Jesus versus their old life as a sinner. They say, wow, I'm forgiven. I really am. I have purpose. I want to tell other people about that. This is great. I should be telling this to everybody. Those of us who have been saved for a while, we tend to take it for granted that Jesus saved us and forgave our sins and we have purpose in him and we're going to heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of gets old. It shouldn't. I pray that God would restore to us the joy of our salvation, like David talked about in Psalm 53. I pray that we'd go back to our first love and, and hear again the freshness of being forgiven, of being a sinner and becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. But we got to share Jesus with people. So much of us don't shake off the dust from our feet as a testimony against those who resist us or reject us. And if you watch carefully, you'll see that in today's Christianity, I think there's more instruction on how not to share your faith than how to share it. I invite you to look up some videos on social media about sharing your faith. And you know what you're going to hear? Unless it's um, a rarity, you're going to hear, well, don't do this. I saw a panel of pastors, four pastors on, on stage, which had their own microphone, and there was a, a mic for people in the audience to ask questions. And a young woman talked about, how, how do I share my faith? I don't know that I'm really doing a good job of it or whatever. Well, then the first pastor said, well, you don't do it this way. And the next, oh yeah, not this way either. Not that way. They all had ways of not to share your faith. And it's sort of like, well, now what do I do? What step do I take? I, I don't want to step to the left. I don't want to step to the right. I don't want to step front. I don't want to step back. I don't know what to do. I heard all these ways how not to share your faith. And I'm afraid if I do it, I'm going to do one of these wrong ways. So I guess I'll just keep quiet until I figure this out. Well, never figure it out. Well, I want to state very clearly today, it's better to try and mess up than to never share your faith at all. A person who's messed up sharing Jesus with 10 people, well, at least they tried to share the gospel with 10 people. But the person that's so afraid of never messing up, they never share their testimony. They're never going to get anybody saved. Most of you are probably familiar with Dwight L. Moody, the evangelist in the Chicago area years and years ago. He was doing uh, these evangelistic outreaches and and some people got critical of how he was doing it, and they developed their list of all their criticisms and pulled them aside and said, hey, I don't like your way of doing this. I think it was giving candy to kids to come to the Saturday Bible school. 
you'd give them candy if they came and there's like hey that could rot their teeth you don't talk to their parents spoil their appetite get them fat and so then they had all sorts of criticisms about how he was doing evangelism so dl moody said well i have wondered sometimes about whether i'm i'm doing it right how do you do it and they're like well do what you know we don't really we don't really do it oh well he replied i like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it so share your faith share your testimony at least witness theodore roosevelt had his most famous quote was his arena speech i'm going to read a couple sentences quoting from that speech he said it's not the critic who counts not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly who errs who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does strive to do the deeds who knows the great enthusiasms the great devotions who spends himself in a worthy cause who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst if he fails at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat that is a presidential quote for christians today sharing their testimony witnessing and sharing their faith there's a lot of christians will sit back and never know victory or defeat they never get persecuted they never get anybody saved because they're they're too timid to do anything and then there's some that might be out sharing jesus and everybody's critical oh you were too strong or you were too soft you didn't uh, deal with their eternal state or you didn't deal with where they're at now i mean there's all sorts of ways that people are critical of sharing your faith but i tell you what your way of doing it's better than anybody else's way of not doing it unless you're pushing some major false doctrines then your way of doing it is great that's why i say just share your story any chance you get tell people how much jesus means to you and what he did for you i remember a young person thinking i need to do more evangelism what, what how do i do this because I, I i had the question do i share about their eternal destiny or do i share about where they're at right now and i asked the lord hey lord please show me maybe two days later at the most three i was watching a vhs back in those days when i was a young man <laughs> i had to watch vhs's and it was a preacher and he made the comment you know the reason we don't see many people get saved is because we spend too much time on the eternal state and not enough time on where they're at now people need to know that jesus will help them where they're at now oh well, i guess that's how you do it then the very next day i was listening to a cassette that's how we heard messages sermons on tape was a cassette and that's where the preacher said you know we spend way too much time about making them comfortable right now they need to understand their eternal destination if they don't have jesus and i was confused it was kind of a kind of a crisis i ended up not sharing my faith much because either way i did it i thought maybe it was wrong i'm saying let's put all that aside let's share our faith however share our story let the holy spirit do the work at least we're on the playing field at least we're in the arena and if we fail so what the chances of, of getting someone's eternal soul into heaven and not in hell is worth the risk well this has been a good talk i look forward to continuing this talk next week at this same time on the bible and our culture see you then thank you for listening to the bible and our culture an outreach radio ministry of liberty remnant church if you want to support this ministry financially you could do so by going to our website libertyremnantchurch.org backslash give and select radio ministry 
See you next week at the same time.